The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, and that he should, or than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the gospel of the Lord. It feels good to get your last two cents in. It feels good to think up the right, rude, sarcastic response to something that someone has said to you right on the spot instead of in the shower later. And oh, is it tempting to do so. I mean, if God has given me this wonderful, sarcastic response to say right now, then I ought to say it, right? And that's where the discerning heart comes in. Maybe that sarcastic, rude response is not from God, but from the evil one. Oh, is it tempting to add to the fire, as James says, to let the little fire of your tongue helped to burn down the forest, But Jesus is firm here in the gospel reading. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Nancy Reagan, right? Just say no. Just say no. Why? He says, for woe to those who do so. And when Jesus says woe, he means judgment is coming to those who dot, dot, dot. And what he is saying here specifically is, woe to those through whom temptations come. Or, as the Bible likes to talk about it, woe to people who will become stumbling blocks in other people's lives. Or in your own life, becoming a stumbling block to your own faith and to the faith of others. 
If you are responsible for a rumor or have helped to spread a rumor, if you are the source of conflict or you add to conflict in your life, if you are responsible for keeping others from hearing God's word, from coming to church, from all of these things, if you are a stumbling block, Jesus says it would be better for you to tie a rock around your neck and jump into the ocean. Beware. But Jesus tells us how to solve this problem because he doesn't want to leave us without the tools in our tool belt to resolve conflict. One of the most blessed things Jesus has left us in this regard is what we often hear called Matthew 18. Or, as you may be familiar with it, if someone causes conflict with you, go and tell them in private. If that doesn't work, bring someone along as a witness. If that doesn't work, bring them to the church and let them decide. But what he leaves us with here is, first a reminder, pay attention to yourself. Discern, pray, ask yourself self-reflective questions. Am I at any fault in this? And if there is fault, apologize first to God and then to the one who has hurt you. But if someone else also is involved, Jesus tells us to rebuke. He says, rebuke them. If someone has hurt you, tell them that they've hurt you. If you've hurt someone, you remain unforgiven until you have repented and asked them for forgiveness. It's that simple. And so Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he turns against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And this is the hard part, right? You have to keep on forgiving if they keep on asking for forgiveness. I'm not sure if, you've, if you guys are fans of Martin Scorsese movies, but he made one recently called Silence, based off of a book which was written based on the collected journals of Jesuit missionaries in Japan in the 16th century. And so basically, the Christian church was spread to Japan way back in the medieval times. And then the, uh, what, are they, what are they called? The daimos, the, the shoguns, they outlawed Christianity because it was subversive to their feudal system. And so what happened was all of these Christian churches had to keep on being church even without priests, pastors, and so on. And so these Jesuit missionaries return, and there's just two of them in Japan. And their task is to go city to city, town to town, village to village, give them the sacrament, 
baptize babies, preach the word, and just give people comfort that have been tortured for hundreds of years for being Christian. Now, unfortunately, the one guy who can speak both Japanese and English, or sorry, Portuguese, but if you're watching the movie, they're speaking English, of course, is a guy that multiple times throughout their journey, for the sake of spare change, will hand them over to the shogun. Because he wants to buy his sake. He wants to buy some food. So he keeps handing Jesus' servants over to the government authorities. And they're hurt, they're crushed, not only in spirit because they've been betrayed, they're hurt because they're tortured. They're put in, you know, think, bamboo cages, etc., dangled over pits. But what will often happen is this same man that deceived them, because he is a Christian, or as Japanese say, Krishitan, he always comes back, knocks on the bamboo cage of where the priest is, and he says, priest, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Will you hear my confession? And you watch these young men, priests, exasperated emotionally, physically, as they give out sighs and cries to God, and they say, tell me what you would like to confess. And they hear the sins of this person that is leading not only to the death of good Christian people, but to the possible death of the Christian church in an entire area of the world. And boy, how hard it would be to be that pastor in that bamboo cage who then at the end of that confession says, do you believe that my words are Jesus's words? And when that man says, yes, I do, to then say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because the third time around, while he's speaking those true words, your sins are forgiven, and they are. Those sins are forgiven. They know in the back of their mind that they're going to be betrayed again. And so Jesus tells us, even then, even then, forgive. Why? Because that's what God is like. If he sins against you seven times in one day, which we should laugh, that's us. We just keep on, keep on sinning several times a day. And if you want peace in your life, seven times a day, you'll throw back your head and you'll say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, that I did that. And you'll ask for forgiveness. And this is what it is to repent. I Repent. 
and God plays by his own rules, he will forgive you and you are forgiven. But don't be confused. And this is something that I wish someone told me when I was growing up. So high schoolers, this works. Junior high schooler, this works. College students that might be listening, it works. People that are members at the Sheila Ray uh, Senior Center, it works. People at work, it works. People at school as administrators and teachers, it works. If someone keeps on hurting you and never asks for forgiveness, even after you confront them, tell them to get lost until they repent and say they're sorry. We live in a dark world where consciences are seared. That's what Paul says. Kind of like when you go to a good Mexican restaurant and you get the burrito, but they sear it shut so it doesn't unfold and the stuff gets everywhere. It's seared, closed. The conscience. It will not repent. It will not hear it another way. It won't budge. It's stubborn. And so in this dark world where we live, people have seared consciences that are not sensitive to hurting you. And so Jesus tells us we must confront them. And so when the apostles hear this, their heart sinks. They say, how am I going to have the strength to not only keep on forgiving people who hurt me and ask for forgiveness, but how am I going to have the strength to confront someone who has hurt me? And so they ask Jesus one of the most earnest prayers in the Bible. Jesus, give us more faith. Strengthen our faith. Increase our faith. And I think a big thing that we can take out of the Old Testament reading is if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Be patient. How can I forgive someone constantly over and over? Well, Jesus says to forgive someone, you don't need great, strong faith. He seems to be saying you simply need any faith at all, no matter how small. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus' words of forgiveness, not even your own words, not even your own strength, will do its work for you. If you forgive, it will forgive others. If you give mercy, the mercy will be given. If you give grace, if you say, I forgive you even though dot, 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 you will give mercy, grace, and the result of that is peace. You are an instrument of God's will. 
something that I wrote down that I wanted to make sure that I said is this. You may think that your prayers, your kind words to other people, your forgiveness, no matter how small or hidden or done in secret it is, amounts to nothing. But it's not true. Jesus here is giving us the certainty and the peace, the assurance that all of those little prayers, all of those small kind words, all of those looking the other way when someone antagonizes you and giving them the mercy of the moment, even if no one watches, watches, these are great things that are done in God's kingdom and it helps God's kingdom break into the world all the more. Though it is important to note, because all of a sudden at the end, he goes on and on, Jesus says, about being a servant. And you're like, where did this come from? Like, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Jesus is like, essentially, don't pat yourself on the back too hard. (laughs) He says, do you think that a servant will be thanked? For doing what he commanded? He says, no, instead say, when you have done what you've, you've been commanded to do, we are simply unworthy servants. We have done only what our duty is. And what he's saying here, this command to forgive, this command to spread the gospel, this command to have the hard conversation, this demand, this command to be grateful to God for all things, It's simply our duty as Christians. It's what's expected of us. We are Christian. We forgive repentant sinners for Jesus' sake. It's what's expected as a servant. You don't go and buy takeout, bring it home, and then say, everyone, I want praise for cooking this, raising the cow, slaughtering the cow, Etc. No, you're simply passing it on. You're delivering it to your home. In the same way, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. You did not die on the cross for anyone. You are simply delivering the grace, mercy, and peace as a servant to others and sometimes to yourself. For As servants, one of our biggest tasks, even just at a guttural level as creatures created by God, we are to give glory each morning, each day, each night to our master, our creator, Christ, who gives us all good things, who earned our salvation, who earned the forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross. And so, when you find yourself being grateful to God, you'll begin to notice yourself being kind to others and being kinder to yourself. When you spill your coffee on your lap, instead of screaming out a swear word, you can give thanks to God for what you can immediately see as a blessing in your life. And one of these days, you'll look back and say, I'm glad I spilled my coffee on my lap 
for it led to this. It led to that. And so when the next time you spill coffee on your lap, instead of screaming out a swear word or expletive, you will scream out, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He created me in all things. He bought me not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. Thank you, Jesus Christ. You paid for it all. All of those scattered papers that have my sins written on them, no one picked them up and read them. Jesus gathered them together, bound them into one book, and threw it in the fire. They're all gone. And so we serve Jesus chiefly by our faith in him, our simple trust, like a child It is a Lutheran teaching to say that faith is God's preferred form of worship. It is a form of worship louder than an organ, more pleasant than a voice, a more pleasant smell than incense. The Lord delights in your faith, your complete trust in him. And so when we lean not on our own understandings, but instead we lean on him. He rejoices to give you life, strength, hope, both now and in the next life. And, oh, optimism. Jesus lives, so I will live also, both now and in eternity. Seek first his kingdom, and all else will be added. His kingdom is here. It's there. It's in that font. It's in this book, this Bible. His kingdom is amongst two or three when you forgive and ask for forgiveness. Amen.